Hey everybody, it's Jim Peterick of the Ides of March, formerly with Survivor and of 38 Special Fame, and you're listening to Follow Your Dream Podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream Podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. I'm pleased to tell you that my Follow Your Dream handbook is now out and available. The handbook is a combination memoir of my musical journey and a step-by-step how-to book. Plus, it's got a whole bunch of very cool photos of my life and my career. I wrote the handbook as an extension of this podcast to help everyone to pursue and succeed at their dream, whatever it may be. The reviews have been just spectacular. It's been called inspiring, extremely helpful, highly readable, the guiding light, and a true literary treasure. So pick up the Follow Your Dream Handbook today. It's available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It is my great pleasure to have Mark Stein of the Vanilla Fudge as my guest in this episode. When I was growing up in the 1960s in New York City, and I was coming of age musically, the Fudge were maybe my first band crush. Their debut album with that great psychedelic cover and with that incredible remake of You Keep Me Hanging On was my absolute favorite. From Mark's organ and singing to Carmine's drumming to Vinny's guitar and particularly Tim Bogert's bass playing, I was in Vanilla Fudge heaven. The Fudge were dynamic, they were psychedelic, they were exciting. I saw them in concert several times and they knocked me out each time I saw them. My featured song in this episode, and I always feature one of my songs uh, underneath the intro and then at the end, is my version, my reimagined version of You Really Got Me by The Kinks. I like to do reimagined versions of iconic rock songs from the 60s, and I owe a great deal to the Vanilla Fudge's reimagined version of You Keep Me Hanging On because it showed me that you could take a hit song and change it and make it yours and create an entirely new hit. So, Mark Stein, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Yeah, man, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here, man. I'll tell you, the Fudge were it for me. I, I grew up in the city. Now, I consider the Fudge kind of a New York band. Was everybody from New York? Uh, yeah, basically, we were from uh, the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. I grew up in Hudson County, Bayonne, and Jersey City, you know. Uh, Carmine was from Brooklyn, Vinnie Martell from the Bronx, and Tim Bogert, may rest in peace, uh, rest in peace was uh, from Richfield, New Jersey. So I see. How did you all get together? Well, you know, we were all, you know, coming up pretty much the same way, you know, playing and, 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 you know, top 40 bands we used to call them, you know, playing and uh, 
places like the Headliner in New York City, the Wagon Wheel, the Peppermint Lounge, and the famous Peppermint Lounge, right. Joey D and the Starlighters came, you know, playing all kinds of Jersey clubs. And uh, everybody had a dream. Okay, we had a dream 50 years ago. We still have dreams today. But uh, yeah, everybody had a dream to, to become famous and pop stars. We all love music. And, and I was in a band called Rick Martin and the Showman with Tim Bogert. And, uh, you know, uh, to fast forward to the first time I saw a band called The Rascals that were making an incredible amount of noise in Long Island at the bars. And I went to see them in New York City and I was completely blown away with this band, Dino Danelli. I never saw a drummer like that. And of course, you know, my early mentor, Felix Cavallari, you know. So mm -hmm. when I popped my butt under his Hammond B3 organ, I was 18 years old. Night after night after night, I went to this place called the Phone Discotheque, and uh, I, I was just blown away by, by this guy. And uh, I told my dad, "Listen, you got to help me get this amazing thing called the Hammond B3 organ." <laughs> so he helped me get it. And uh, Tim Bogert loved the Rascals too, and uh, we we wanted to do something special instead of just you know the casual top forty stuff. So we we decided <coughs> to leave. Rick Martin, a showman, and we knew we, we recruited Vinnie Martell out of the Bronx to uh, an agent in New York. And uh, I parked my B3 on Tim's uh, porch in uh, Richfield. <laughs> and I used to go over there constantly and learn how to use it. You know, we went over to New York to pick up Vinnie and uh, got him over to the house. First time he started playing, we said, man, this guy's great. So we started playing and we became a band called The Pigeons. So we were out there for a while, and a guy by the name of Jeff Barry, who was, uh, you know, who was a top uh, producer and songwriter for all the girl groups in those days, like the Dixie Cups and all that, that stuff was on AM radio. Right. He said, "We're going to call you the Pitches. I'm going to work with you, and we're going to we're going to try and make this happen." So uh, one day, uh, Joey Brennan, our drummer that we had at the time, didn't show up for a rehearsal. He got pissed. He said, "Screw you guys! You know, you're never going to make it." And he left the <laughs> rehearsal. So anyway, that was a you know, mistake. We, yeah. So we went on and on. And uh, actually, I went to saw a band called uh, The Vagrants out in a place called The Eye. That was with Leslie, Leslie West. Leslie West band, right? Yeah, and Peter Sabatino and, uh, you know, these cats, Jerry Storch on Oregon. And that actually, uh, I've told this story so many times in the press. That was the night that changed my life completely. You know? When you saw The Vagrants. When I saw The Vagrants, man. I mean, The Rascals, I wanted to be Felix. When I saw the uh, the vagrants, they were the first one I saw taking songs, slowing them down, and adding all this uh, drama and dynamics. And I was just so knocked out that on the way home that night, I I just wanted to do that, and and uh, it just inspired me to the point where I started coming up with these ideas, you know, these uh, arrangements for other people's songs, and that became my early creative point. But we couldn't accomplish what we wanted to do, me and Tim and Vinny, because uh, Joey was a good drummer, but it was like a Charlie Watts kind of drummer. But we needed somebody that could play all the, the dynamics and, you know, the symphonic approach. So me and Tim started going around clubs looking for a drummer. So we went to this place in uh, Garfield, New Jersey, uh, called the Choo Choo Club. And we saw this guy, Carmine, playing, uh, I think, with a band called Thursday's Children. And we were like, wow, this guy's great. Powerful foot. He played with all this independence and just fills, and it was really, really cool. So after the show, I went back. I said, "Dude, I want you to come outside." It was freezing. I remember. Come outside the front of the club. Me and Tim want to talk to you about this concept that we have. 
So he explained it to me. He goes, yeah, man, I'm in when we get started. <laughs> and that's basically how it started. My dad uh, set up a place in the back of a bar in uptown New York on the, on the west side. I'm sorry, Bayonne, New Jersey. Uh, so we, we kind of started rehearsing back there. And after a week, he set up a he set up a, uh, an audition for Philly Basile out at the Action House on Long Island. So we went out and uh, after a week's rehearsals, you know, he was impressed and he took us on. And that's basically, uh, that was the beginning of the next phase, you know. Well, it was an exciting phase, I'll tell you that. I mean, you guys were so different from what was happening at that time. And I think that's what made the band. And yet that first album, the Vanilla Fudge album, that was on Atco, if I remember. Yeah, it was on Atco. So who came up with the arrangement for You Keep Me Hanging On? Was that yours? Well, basically, I used to come to the band with, with, with the original templates for the arrangements, okay? But on You Keep Me Hanging On, especially, I, I was sitting with Tim Bogart in front of the Cheetah. It was the discotheque in, in 66 in a freezing cold in the winter. We had the heat on. And we were drinking something or smoking something. Who knows? The Supremes. You keep hanging on, comes on the radio, and it was like, sounds so fast. I looked at Tim, I said, man, wouldn't this be a great tune to slow down and, and put this trip to, you know? And he said, yeah, man, go to work on it. So I did, and I came up with these ideas. I hooked up with Vinnie Martel, and he had this fantastic guitar, you know, rock intro thing, Indian thing that he did. We started rehearsing the, the, the piece together, and at the time we were, we were, we were playing at a, a discotheque called Ongano's on the uptown on the west side of New York City. And Carmine and Tim were at rehearsal. We, you know, showed them the ideas and, you know, they instantly just, you know, came up with these great rhythm parts. And just one thing led to another. We came up with all the vocals. And, you know, after a couple of hours, you know, we, we just knew that we had something really, really special. We, we couldn't wait to unleash it to the world, you know. <laughs> So we started playing it on Gano's and everybody stopped dancing, which, you know, obviously couldn't dance to it. And they, they just started getting mesmerized by the drama of what we were putting out. And they started coming to the front of the stage. And, you know, that, that started happening every time we played. I mean, nobody started with dancing and all the club owners were getting pissed off. We're telling our manager, we, we, we don't want to hire these guys anymore because nobody's dancing. Because nobody's dancing you know? to the song. Isn't that ironic? We started getting blown away with not only keep me hanging on, but actually what was that whole first album is what our shit, what it was what our club show was up and down the East Coast. And it was it was so incredibly tight that everything we did in the studio when we hooked up with Shadow Martin was like keep me hanging on was in one take. 
Really? Classic Frazier is one take and model. Wow. Okay? Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, all the guys in the band were great. I'm a bass player. You know, when I was growing up, Tim Bogert was one of those guys that I listened to. Tim was a great bass player. And I've recently had on the podcast some, you know, mammoth bass players like oh, yeah. Nathan East and Lee Sklar and Jim Fielder from Blood, Sweat and Tears. Everybody said Jimmy the same Hassel. thing. You know, Tim Bogert was right up there. And uh, it's it sad, as you said before, that he passed away. I was sad to hear about that. But I wanted to mention also, you know, taking a song like You Keep Me Hanging On, slowing it down, making it dramatic, symphonic, like you said, that was kind of the first time I heard somebody approaching a hit song like that. And I thought it was spe really special. The next time that I remember hearing somebody do something like that was when I was at Woodstock along with, you know, 20 million other people. Yeah. And uh, Joe Cocker got up there and did that amazing rendition of with a little help from my friends. Yeah. Amazing. That's right. And it taught me those two songs taught me that you could really take a great hit and make it your own and in essence, turn it into another hit. And that's what you guys did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh... Thank God for uh, the advent of underground radio back in the late 60s, because at the time, you know, they wouldn't play anything more than three minutes on AM radio. OK, yeah. so when stations like WNEW in New York and, you know, all the stations like, you know, out in San Francisco and L.A. and Chicago, you know, were, were running their underground trips, they, they would play all vanilla fudge arrangements and it was you know, they played they play the whole first side of the album and that started like a whole underground movement. So if it wasn't for underground radio, I don't know if we ever would have really got hurt, you know, so. Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, in today's world, stuff like that, they're not adventurous. They would never be playing anything that's so different. But that was one of the great things about that era that so much got played on the radio because it was so much of an individual thing from all the disc jockeys, right? Yeah, it was awesome. It was a total musical renaissance of this i also i remember when you guys did ticket to ride you know the beatles of course were the beatles at that time they were head and shoulders above everybody else and i thought to take a beatles song and to do you know a fudge kind of rendition to a beatles song that took balls okay because so many people didn't want to go anywhere near touching a beatles song it's like a sacrilege if you know what i mean well, for us, it, did, it wasn't balls to us because we were totally comfortable doing that. We never even thought of it that way. We just, it was a natural, you know, it was, it was a natural trans, transgression, whatever the word is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I give you credit that you did it. I'm just saying that, you know, that's kind of like Mount Olympus to go after the Beatles on anything and to change it around. But you guys did some, you, you, you fudged it up. Okay. George Harrison loved that first album. He put did it under really? his arm and he loved it. He'd take that album to parties all over England. You know, he thought he, he was just really impressed with the with Ticket to Ride and super impressed with the drama we put into Eleanor Rigby, you know. So, I mean, if you listen to that even now, we were really like, really, I mean, for our age, guys that were basically 19, 20, 21, 22 year old guys to be, that collectively creative was uh, was really something to be said for that, you know. So, you're absolutely right. You guys did a great job, I have to say, and there was oh, a reason why you. I, you know, you were one of the bands that I loved the most back then. How has it held up over time? What's the the, the you know the the 
the way that the band and the music has held up over these past number of years? Well, it's held up really well. I mean, I think Keep Hanging On is is uh, considered, uh, you know, an iconic rock arrangement and classic on a lot of PlayStation still. And, uh, you know, the band has uh, reunited a number of times over the years. We're still rocking. You know, our fans come to the come to the venues and bring their kids to see uh, what they say. This was the origins of a lot of classic rock. Uh, so it's, it's held up pretty well. And I think the band members, for the most part, have uh, held up with the music pretty well. <laughs> uh, we've all been through incredible trials and tribulations. We've all gone on to play with a multitude of great artists. You know, Carmine went on to play with uh, Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart and a million mm -hmm. people. You know, I went on to play with Tommy Bolin and Dave Mason and uh, Alice Cooper, you know, right? Made appearances with Deep Purple, Carl Palmer, and, uh, you know, uh, I played with Alice Cooper, I, whatever. But yeah, we're, in fact, we're, we're uh, we have a new single coming out on Golden Robot Records. We did a, we did a fudge arrangement of uh, Stop in the Name of Love, which is a pretty intense uh, arrangement, I must say. So that should be coming out September 6th on Golden Robot out of Australia. And we have a whole bunch of dates set up starting September 30th uh, through the fall. Hopefully this, this uh, variant isn't going to blow these dates out. I don't know if they're going to hold, you know, but uh, right. it's kind of scary out there still, but uh, yeah. giving it our best shot, you know. Good for you. And, you know, I think I told you that I was searching around on YouTube and I found a, a live version where you guys were playing, you keep me hanging on. I think it was on the Letterman show. And uh, no, it wouldn't have been that. Okay. I can't remember. It was which probably show. Uh, Jimmy Fallon. Okay. It was a Jimmy Fallon. On it was like 10 years Fallon. ago, something yeah, like Jimmy that. Fallon, you told yeah. me, man, you guys sounded good. Thank you. Yeah. We're right in the middle of touring. We were tight. And I remember we were so excited to do the show because it certainly wouldn't hurt updating our exposure on a great show like that. So uh, we were playing this uh, place in Pennsylvania the night before, and we actually played the full version, and then we got an encore. And so, you know, we're doing Jimmy Fallon tonight, tomorrow night. So we're going to play the edited version. We had to come up with an edited, like, two minutes and, who knows, two minutes and 37 seconds on right. the dot. You know how that stuff is. And we came up with this uh, edited version, and, uh, you know, we had it real tight. And the next uh, day, we, uh, we went to the studio in New York, and we did the show. And what was really cool about that was uh, we did the first take and it didn't, it didn't come out as good as we hoped. And I, I was oh man, we screwed up a little bit here because the, the arrangement was uh, a little intricate with that edit. So, you know, the head of the show said, listen, if you want to do another take, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and uh, we did another take and it came off a lot better. And that's, that's the one that they showed on the show. So we're really grateful. I think back in that day, record companies used to do those kind of edits all the time. They would take, you know, a, a longer kind of album oriented song and they would just cut it. They would edit it. I don't know whether the groups had anything to say about it. I remember, for example, that happened with the doors, light my fire. You know, there was an album version that went on and yeah. on. Yeah. And there was that single version for radio. So I think that happened to a lot of bands, didn't it? It happened to all of us. I mean, well, we did hanging on on the Ed Sullivan show. That was a real, that was a seminal moment. And 
in our lives and career. I mean, to be in everybody's living room at nine o'clock at night right. all over the country. We had to do a, an edited version. And, uh, and we came off great on that show. And uh, not only because the band was really good, but a fellow by the name of Bruce Wayne was our tour manager and sound guy from England. And he managed to sneak himself into the control room, which was Union in those days. And he wasn't really supposed to be doing that because these cats didn't really know how to mix a, a, you know, a heavy rock band, you know what I'm right. saying? So he got in there and uh, he helped them mix it. And that was, you know, another reason why we came off sounding so good on this album show. <laughs> so pretty cool little footnote. You also had some really interesting dress that you used to, you know, have when you were playing. I mean, that was back in the 60s. It was that psychedelic era. And uh, you looked the part as much as you sounded the part. Well, when we were in England for the first time in 67, when we first saw The Who, we went to see Hendrix live. And I'm in this theater and, and there's a spiral staircase coming down to the stage. And who do I see coming down? You know, Roger, you know, Roger Daltrey and uh, all the cast from The Who and, and Keith Moon. And they're all dressed up like cats from the 18th century. And I was just knocked out. And I was like shivering. I said, you know, because we were a fan of everybody. We're starting to break out. That was an amazing thing right. about coming out in the 60s being a part of this incredible era of music and all these amazing bands and artists and starting to notice you, it was like, oh my God, this was so cool. So we wanted to look like the who, you know? Uh So over the next few days, we we got our asses down on King's Road and Carnaby Street. And we went with our manager and we started buying all these velvet, you know, coats with the high collars and the pinched waist and the great clothes and the pants and the the scarves and the, uh, the, uh, the cool heeled shoes and boots and flowered shirts. And we came back to America looking like princes. And when we came off the plane, you know, Atlantic was ready for us because our album had just peaked in the top 10. So we were really rocking. Okay. We had all these people at JFK to greet us. It was like a mini Beatles thing. Wow. Very cool. And we got, you know, into the limos. We went up to this great restaurant. We're all dressed like princes and kings. Everybody was like, wow, these guys look amazing. And we really did, you know. I mean, 20, 20 year old guys, we, we were rocking, we were happening, man. So that must have been fun. It was fun. It must have been fun. All right. So we're going to do now that song fest that I, that I like to do with my musician guests. Obviously, we've already been playing You Keep Me Hanging On. So we know about that. We've gone through that. But I want to play a couple of other songs of yours from the Fudge Days. And the next one that's up on the hit parade here is Shotgun, which is another reimagined version. I guess it was the Junior Walker original version.
I love that. I love what you did with it. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, we all used to love Motown and uh, all the artists on that label. And uh, even though we were known for slowing things down, we didn't slow this down. But what we did, we, to the contrary, was just this real high energy, powerful version of it, you know? I played the Hammond like it was a horn section. Uh, Carmine kicked, kicked, kicked ass on this with Tim. And Vinny had this, uh, you know, this wah wah, really cool guitar trip going on. And we just jammed on it. We, and we came up with it really quick. And then when we got to the metal, I, I had this, uh, this idea to come up with this, uh, this green sleeves theme. You know? Don't ask me where it came from. But we came up with that. And we worked on that. And we kind of uh, you know, puzzled it into the arrangement. And, and we did all of these uh, you know, multi-tracked vocals. That, that's another thing the Fudge was really strong at was the harmony parts. Right. Now, didn't Tim Bogert sing lead on that one? Yeah, Tim sang the, sang the lead on that. Okay. But uh, Tim's forte was, he had this incredible high voice. Right. You know? But yeah, Timmy sang uh, the lead on that. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we just jammed on it. And that's how that came about. Yeah, that was a very powerful song. And you're right, you changed the whole feel of that song. I mean, that's what you did for all of these songs. But it just struck a great chord. Yeah. That was yeah. it. All right, let's go on to the next one. This one we spoke about before. This is your cover, your reimagined version of one of the Beatles songs, Ticket to Ride. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, we're going back a long time. I, uh, we were just uh, rehearsing all the time and coming up with arrangements. And, uh, you know, I, I just sat down at the organ and this, this thing just came out. And people always say, yeah, I was classic trained with some kind of a Bach approach I used. <laughs> Whatever it was, you know. Right. Actually, when I listen to it now, I said, man. <laughs> that is pretty cool because I haven't heard it in decades. And I listened to it and I said, man, that was, that was happening. So we just slowed it down. I, I think we wanted to be the vagrants on that song, to be totally honest, because they were slowing down stuff and, and we were kind of like imagining we were the vagrants. I, I saw the vagrants at the Singer Bowl. They opened yeah. for Hendrix. Now, this is probably in the mid 60s. And, you know, I remember the group. And of course, Leslie West was the centerpiece of the whole thing but i didn't remember that they slowed stuff down so that's interesting to me they used to do exodus they used to do if i was a carpenter you know and they slowed all that stuff down and peter sabatino the front man was incredible in those days with his long hair sweating they worked so hard and they had a strobe lights and the light show he'd whip his hair into the lights he'd see the sweat fly into the lights it was so <laughs> much drama and we wanted to be these guys, you know, the whole visual thing. And that's what we became. But we took it a step further because of our vocals and 
you know, our music just was a little more, you know, on steroids. So. <laughs> and the vagrants just kind of, they fell apart, I guess. I mean, they, they didn't go anywhere. Well, they didn't, but Leslie West, God rest his soul, came out right. of that band and became, became one of the classic one. superstar guitar players of the era, you know, yep, yep, with yep. Mountain and uh, West Bruce and Lang. And I remember uh, I interviewed Felix Papillardi many, many years ago, and uh, he had uh, already worked with Cream at that point. And he was then working with uh, with Leslie West and Mountain, right. and, you know, talked about the experiences of, of working with an Eric Clapton and with a Leslie West. Yeah. Two great guitarists. Okay. So the next song we're going to do is one of your stranger ones. Okay. This was <laughs> Where Is My Mind? I need to know what kind of drugs you were on when you did uh, I'm about to tell you. You really, the listeners really <laughs> want to hear this trip. Well, it was a very experimental time. And one night at uh, the Fillmore in San Francisco in 67, uh, we, were, we were headlining and the Steve Miller band was opening for us, right? And we started, uh, well, I dropped a little bit of psychedelics that night, not really knowing you know, what the dangers and the risks were, right? So I was hanging out uh, with Steve Miller <laughs> and his band and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, the room started getting a little foggy. It started getting, things started getting weird. It started to become a little bit of like a horror movie, okay? And I started getting really paranoid. And my roadie said, all right, we're on in 10 minutes. And I said, oh my God, you know, I, and, and I got on stage and I was running my Leslie through these two dual showmans and everything sounded so incredibly out of tune, you know, because the drug started taking effect. And I, I really didn't know what to expect. So um, if you forget that you're on the drug, you can start experiencing a pretty scary situation, you know, to be quite uh, frank. So I looked up at Vinny. I said, look, uh, I'm having a so many words. I said, I'm having a tough time. You're going to have to you have to take over and, and, and lead the show. OK, and I'm just going to try and get through this the best I can, okay? So uh, I just recall when we got the people get ready and the, the light show was so amazing and I heard those angelic voices, it was like that was the time that, uh, you know, in my, in, in my in my 20 year old life, I, I thought I saw God, you know, because mm -hmm. it, 
it took me out of the condition I was in and got me back to reality. And then I was able to finish the show with confidence. And that's how it went. And the place was packed and sold out and everybody was on LSD, man, in the film on 67. And I think they knew it was like the Colosseum in ancient Rome. It was like with the lions, they were just roaring and ah, everybody was just totally <laughs> flipping out. It was an amazing night, but I got through it and I got over it. And that's what lent, that's what lent itself to the lyrics. Uh, of where is my mind? Okay, that's a heck of a backstory. And me writing that song. <laughs> okay. okay, so I'm being totally honest. I hope it's not too honest for whoever. No, no, no. Us. Listen, this is it was the '60s. Okay, the 60s. stuff happened there that doesn't happen these days. And there's so yeah. many people that you know they didn't know about it because they didn't live through that era. Right. So you're telling it like it was. I tell exactly like it was, and here I am 50 some odd years later and I'm, I'm here and I'm still talking about you're it. Still man. walking. You're still talking. Still you're rocking. Still playing. Yeah, man. That's what counts. You know, this is a podcast that's called follow your dream. And I like to ask my guests like you, people that have not only survived, but succeeded. What, what advice would you give to somebody that has a dream, never pursued it, or maybe has pursued it, but just hasn't succeeded yet? What would you tell them? I could tell you, if you're really in, a, really in the deepest part of your spirit and soul, if this is what you really, really want, then you have to persevere with your blood and guts, man. you got to go after it because it's a difficult path. There's going to be constant resistance. There's going to be people that don't think you're good. There's going to be people that don't pay attention. There's going to be people that make you feel bad, make you feel insecure. But you've got to believe and yourself, if you have that dream, it's your dream. And just don't ever give up, man. If you never give up over time, I think chances are good that you're going to find what you're looking for. That's exactly what Carlos Santana said to me once, and he was right. Amen. We've been talking with Mark Stein of the Vanilla Fudge, and he's done so many other things as well. Mark, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. This has been such a great episode just to relive that whole era. And you were smack dab in the middle of it. And you, you came out and you did great. So thanks so much. Well, you're very welcome. I don't, I don't know if there's any time for me to make this announcement while we're here. Please go ahead. Um, I just signed after all these years talking about following your dream. Well, I too, even in my 70s, I still had a dream to be a solo artist. I dreamed to have a solo album and you know, through all my tracks that I've made and writings over the last decade or so, I, I have a solo deal and I have, a, I have an album that'll be coming out over the next few months. It's called There's a Light. And my first song, my first single is called We Are One. And that should be coming out hopefully sometime in September. And I'm really proud of the, uh, the song, the lyrics and the arrangement. And I'm feeling really good about it. And that's my dream in this stage of my life. So be looking for it. And we're going to be doing a lot of promo on it. Good for you. Mark Stein, thanks again for being on the podcast. Here are the key takeaways from my interview with Mark Stein. Perseverance. Never give up. You know, you'll face resistance in life for almost everything you do. People will tell you you can't, you won't, you'll never succeed. Never give up. And think about this. Mark Stein is still following his dream with his first solo album. 
And now we're going to listen again to the song that I have uh, featured in this episode. It's my reimagined version of a song by the Kinks called You Really Got Me. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. Got me now, got me so